Welcome back. I'm here today with Ray Zinn. He's author of the book, Tough Things First. Ray, welcome to today's show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you. So, for the sake of our listeners, can you give us the background, uh, you know, through your career history and, and, uh, and then maybe give them inspiration of why you went through and, and wrote this book? Sure. Um, glad to. So I started uh, in the industry in 1963, the semiconductor industry that is, in 1963 at Fairchild Semiconductor. Back in those days it was called Fairchild Cameron Instruments. Um, and so I went to various companies and um, uh, at, the, uh, at the end of, of my career working for a company, that was in 1976, I was working, working for a company called Electromask down in Woodland Hills, California. And I'm kind of the creator, the innovator of the wafer stepper, which is the primary piece of equipment that's used in manufacturing semiconductors. Uh, so uh, uh, I got in a little bit ahead of myself. I was a little more entrepreneurial than my company wanted me to be. And because the stepper never became a real value until 1981, and I created it in 1975. So uh, they said, you shouldn't work for a company. and and. Uh, you know, be your own boss as you would. Tom Peters said, if you're not uh, getting fired, you're not trying hard enough, and I got fired a lot. So I uh, decided to start my own company, and that was in 1978, November, I started my Krell. Uh, I founded a company. It was primarily founded uh, with $300,000 of, of our own money, and then 300000 of bank debt. Uh, so 600000 total to start a semiconductor company. So the covenants I had to keep were that I had to be profitable every year um, and that was a difficult thing to be profitable right from the get-go. But that's what we did. So I uh, uh, was profitable every single year except for 2002 when the dot-com implosion hit. Then we uh, had to consolidate two fabs down to one and wrote off $29 million, but only had a $50,000 gap loss, which is not bad. Yeah. So in, in, in 37 years, the company lost a total of $50,000 in its total history. Um, and uh, the advantage we had, of course, is that being profitable, we, you know, we grew nicely and tried to grow, grow organically as opposed to just by acquisitions. So that's a little bit about my background. I was the CEO, president, and chairman of the board from the entire time the company was founded until uh, the current, uh, uh, when we sold the company in August of uh, this year to a company called Microchip. Now I understand that's the, the longest standing record for a CEO in the Valley? That's right. So again, the, 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 I just keep, kept running the company and, and uh, uh, even as old as I am, in fact the record will probably never be broken because how many people can, can say they've served as a CEO for 37 years uh, uh, without being quite old as you would. And uh, I started at 39 and so here I am 37 years later and now off writing my book and trying to help the younger people uh, learn about running a business. So when we talk about this book, Tough Things First, uh, where did the inspiration begin? Okay, so um, in, in, in 1984, I, you know, because of the way I started the company, I had this friend, a uh, real close friend, that uh, kept asking me, how'd you do it? You know, how'd you start a company with so little money? Uh, and so, uh, about every other month, he'd ask me to do the same thing. Tell me, tell me how you started the company. So I told him, I said, Owen, I'll tell you what I'll do is I will record it and everything you want to hear it, just push the play button. So uh, then uh, uh, as years went on, 
people would say, boy, you really need to write a book about your experience running this, this company because it's, it's so well known and so well revered in the industry uh, and that you've been so long in the industry. I'm probably the longest serving uh, icon in my industry, uh, you know, more than 50 years uh, in semiconductors. They said, you need to write a book. And, and so uh, my son-in-law uh, three years ago said, uh, you know, I'd like, to, I'd like you to write a book. And so now he says, I'll help you. So he started the outline, but wasn't uh, able to keep it going. And uh, so then in uh, June of last year, I decided, hey, if you don't have a goal, you don't have a plan. So I said, I'm going to set a goal to have a book written, this book written by the end of, this, uh, end of 2014. And, and so we did. And then we put it out, and McGraw-Hill picked it up, and here we are. You know, when you're looking at uh, all the years that you've served in business, what what drove you to for technology changing? And you know, I'm sure that the company had to reinvent itself every couple of years as the uh, advancements in technologies came. But how did you remain successful through that whole process? Okay, so. Um, <clears throat> You know, you, first of all, you have to love what you do. As Confucius says, if you loved what you do, you don't work a day in your life. And so, you know, you have to love what you do, and I loved what I did. I loved my company because I love my people. Everybody has the same kind of facilities, buildings, you know, brick and mortar, that's all the same. But what makes a difference is the people. And so I just fell in love with my people. Um, and, uh, and I had a very flat organization. Uh, I, I didn't have a lot of uh, bureaucracy didn't have any bureaucracy actually, and it didn't allow any, uh, any swearing or any uh, condescending foul language. That made it feel more like home, like a family. And so we had very low turnover. My company uh, had probably half the turnover of, of the average in the valley. Uh, and the way we did that, of course, is just by in a, you know, innovation and keeping our people focused on, on, on helping micro grow, making it feel more like theirs as opposed to mine. Ray, I need to take a quick break. I'm visiting here today with Ray Zinn. He's author of the book, Tough Things First. We'll be right back after these messages. I love fishing, you know, with my family. I think it would be easier to use a net. It was so much fun. The times when we are together, it makes it all, all the more worth it. Having Dad teach them how to like cast a fly rod and as long as we're doing stuff together we're having fun some people see a father and his son fishing together while others see a succession plan welcome back and visiting here today with Ray Zinn he's the author of the book tough things first and uh, we covered your background in the first segment but um, when, when we're looking at this book, and you know, who, who, who did you gear the audience for? Okay, so when I first uh, thought of the book, it was more to be a historical, meaning I was just going to talk about what happened in, the, in those 37 years. But as we started writing the book, we said, what's the purpose of the book? What, who, who do we really want to, to, um, uh, to get to? And, uh, and if I look at the leadership principles, these are really life principles. They're not just 
you know, what I am at work, but how am I I'm at home and how do I live my life? And, and because the way we are as a person is how successful we're going to be, whether we're running a company, whether we're running our family, whether we're just an employee. So the, the book is primarily geared to anyone who wants to better themselves. They want to kind of get up and get going in life and, and, and involve themselves deeply in whatever tasks that they're, they're pursuing. So the book is really geared for for anyone, even though it's lessons I've learned running a company for 37 years, the principles in there are everlasting. They're they're time immemorial. When you're defining leadership, uh, what attributes do you focus in on the most? Okay, thank you, Alan. The the real focus on on leadership is what is the concept of leadership, and it's really there's no I in team. Okay, so if you have a flat organization, if you keep break those silos down and have your intra-departmental and interdepartmental, where they're the same, then you're gonna have leadership. Leadership is not where we, where we form these silos and we have these conflicts between, between departments because the efficiencies fall off. So what I define leadership is there's no I in team where you have a flat organization, as flat as possible as you can have, and where you really involve the departments where they're working together and not against each other. No politics, no bureaucracy. Why is it important to do the tough things first? Because that's how you get most efficiency out of your day. If you focus on getting rid of the things you don't want to do, I call it loving the things you hate. If you get rid of those, look how much your, how fast your rest of your day is going to go because you'll have gotten rid of all those difficult things that bug you. Because I'll tell you, if you have a problem that you don't want to deal with, you're going to be thinking about that problem all day long and it's going to cause you to lose efficiency and effectiveness. You won't focus as well. So what I did every morning was I thought, well, what are the things I don't want to do today? And those are the things I did first. I got up at 5.30 every morning. In fact, it's written in Greg McKeown's book, Essentialism, is he talks about me. He says I'm the quintessential discipline, disciplinarian, not in the sense of the word that, that you know, I do what I don't want to do, and I get them done well. And uh, so that's what focusing on doing the tough things first is. When you're, uh, when you're running MyCrell, how did you create that culture of growth and keep it sustained? Well, if you have a, a, an organization where you let everybody be an entrepreneur, and everyone, even an employee, can be an entrepreneur, because an entrepreneur is not defined by a box. See, so it's the box that keeps us from, from, from really growing. Okay, because you can understand that a box has, has got finite perim a perimeter to it. Mm -hmm. So we talk about going from the known, which is the box, to the unknown and a little bit further, which means now you're looking out far enough in advance that you can grow because each uh, business cycle is about five years. So we've been in business 37 years, so that's at least seven cycles that we've been through. So if you're uh, not thinking ahead, if you can't look out five years, for example, if it takes two years to design the product, and then it takes you two or three years to get it introduced, you're almost at the end of the cycle. So that means you've got to look you know, two or three years before the cycle starts if you're going to be successful during that business cycle. That's the key. The key is being able to focus outside the box. Get out of that box. Don't be trapped by that box. I'm busy here today with Ray Zinn. He is the author of Tough Things First. Ray, I need to take another break, and we'll be right back after these messages.
since you can't take your wealth with you, spend time with your family. Welcome back. I'm visiting here today with Ray Zinn. He's the author of the book, Tough Things First. And we've been talking about uh, essentially instilling leadership within the companies and helping to, uh, to build things of lasting value. But when you're, when you're creating uh, you know, principles or concepts or processes in the company, how do you instill in the employees to get everybody on the same page? And, and make sure that the processes are enduring uh, cycle after cycle. Okay, uh, Alan, the uh, enduring companies are companies that, that have a solid base. Uh, I liken it to uh, asparagus. Asparagus grows you know, 10, min 10 inches in a day. Um, and, uh, and so what they do is they cut the asparagus at night. You'll notice sometimes the asparagus is bent over. That's because the wind was blowing as it was growing. That's why it was bent but it has no food value. Asparagus, if you lived off asparagus, you'd lose weight because it takes more energy to, to break the, the fiber down than, than, than the value you're getting from the nutrients. So uh, what we did wanted to do was build an enduring company, meaning that, that had to have substance. So it means it can't grow like, like, a, like, you know, like a rocket. It's gotta, it's gotta have a stable base and, and you have to build in the infrastructure so it, it is long lasting. That means you've got to surround yourself with very good people. People who have similar values that you do. People who, who value the dignity of every individual that won't use kind and sane language, That'll, that are, that are uh, people who will uplift as we know that that which does not uplift is evil. Okay, and so it, what we need to do is make sure that, that when we meet with our people, and we encourage them that we do it in an uplifting way. Uh, and, and so that's the key is to, to have, to an enduring company, is to have an environment where they can grow, where, they, where there's substance to whatever they do, the encouragement they get, the praise that they get. And, and we, may, uh, uh, we met every Friday to have kind of like a correlation meeting where we talked about you know, issues the company had. Uh, we had reports from all the different departments. And they talked about their issues, and and it was good because the whole team was there, all the various departments. Mm -hmm. That's what I said earlier about when you have your inter department and your intra department, where there's homogeneity, where they're singing on the same sheet of music, and and that was key to us is to have those regular meetings, where the extra where the inter department meetings uh, uh, departments got together to talk about their their various problems. Every company is going to go through different cycles, both up and down. Um, I think back to the early 2000s with the, the dot bomb, as we called it, and, and then 2008 to the, uh, the collapse or the restructuring of financial markets. When, when you witnessed and were trying to run a company with all the negative influences in the world, how did you keep things going and keep things, keep That's everyone up? Okay, that's you know uh, that's a good point because uh, you know you got to be up when you're down, and and so we forecasted uh, or predicted the dot com implosion uh, in in May of 2000. We actually saw that was going to happen. Uh, our company has been monitoring the industry's uh, cycles and dynamics, you know, since two, uh, since uh, the early uh, 90s, mm -hmm. uh, and so we had a, a, a good background to help us forecast. 
uh, what the industry was going to do in the next cycle. Uh, even though we saw that cycle coming, we knew it was going to be very hard on us. But we got ready, so we were vigilant, we were prepared. Mm -hmm. and, and so even though we lost nearly half our revenue, we didn't have to, to re, you know, set the company because it was, it was prepared and, and ready, had that, that self-reliance that we were ready and be able to handle that, that difficulty. We had to consolidate two fabs down to one. I took a $50,000 gap loss, uh, but still the company, uh, uh, because we were prepared and we were able to sustain ourselves through that downturn, uh, the company still went on profitable for actually uh, for the year if you look on a non-gap basis. But uh, the company, again, was, I think, prepared for those eventualities. And each cycle that we've had, even the one in 2009, we were prepared for it. We knew it was going to happen. Uh, again, because we saw it and we got ready for it, so that it wasn't a big surprise. That's how you build endurance. You know, you pace yourself. That's what endurance is. You know, that's it's not a sprint; it's a marathon. Guys that go around sprinting all the time don't last very long. So what we look at is we're looking for each cycle. We know that there's about five years, so we we plan for the next cycle and we're ready when it happens. When um, when you're looking out at in the companies, I guess we're running through the. The, the, the history of Micro, one thing that you never did is take venture capital money. Why? That's a, a very good question, Alan. Um, because I wanted to own the company. I did not want, because I had a view of, 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 a, of an enduring company. And if you know, venture capital want to be out in five to seven years. It's not possible in, in our industry to really do that effectively. That's why very few semiconductor companies succeed. We recently acquired a company called Desera. Uh, there's $72 million of venture capital put in it. We bought it for $7 million. Bought it 10 cents on the dollar. Hmm. And, and so again, here's an example of, you know, you, you know if, if you run your company to, for a, as, a, as you would a, 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 like a skyrocket or like, a, like fireworks, you know, you fizzle out and then what have you got? So we, d we didn't want that uh, uh, approach. We wanted to be able to, to, to grow the company and sustain it. And to do that, you look more like a hoist than fireworks. And so that's why we, uh, we did it the way we did uh, without VC money, because we had had them on our backs from day one to spend the money and get, get in and get out. Uh, most of my uh, industry raises over $50 million of, of VC money, uh, and we did it with 300000 So you can see the difference is that with 300,000, it takes a little longer, right? I mean, you got to be patient, mm -hmm. but you have endurance. You know, 37 years, very few semiconductor companies ever survive for 37 years. As a, uh, as a CEO of the organization, what's the difference between personal discipline and organizational discipline? Okay, that's, but they're similar, okay? So, you know, the discipline you have is the discipline you're going to convey your, to your team. If they know that, that you're going to do whatever it takes, no excuses, you know, that's that personal discipline that you're going to have. And if you exude that, you know, if you have that consistency, you're, you're there to work on time and, you, and you know, you're not watching the clock, if, if you're willing to, to, to answer questions, uh, that's, that's the personal discipline that you have, the, the, your willingness to do whatever it takes, no excuses, and, and be able to, to, to invite them to express themselves, they're going to get they're going to get the confidence in to have the organizational discipline from their you know various departments to be able to help the company uh, sustain itself. I've been visiting here today with Ray Zinn. He's author of the book Tough Things First. And Ray, 
listeners want to get a copy of the book, where would they go? Barnes & Noble, Amazon, uh, Books Inc. I mean, it's, 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 it's available. Get it now. Great. Thanks for coming on today's show. My pleasure, Alan. Thanks for inviting me. We'll be right back after these messages.